Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to the Inside the Gamecast podcast. Promised you a mailbag episode Saturday. Couldn't quite get to it yesterday, but uh, here we are today. And uh, certainly want to dig into those mailbag questions because I love the mailbag. Uh, first, some news and notes. Uh, Carolina Baseball Sport, of course, sponsored by Heritage Digital. You, you, you guys hear the, uh, the opening of the show. Um, and we thank them for that. Uh, want to also, uh, yeah, so yeah, I want to also give you a quick update on uh, a couple of house cleaning items, uh, before we get started. Um, first of all, I, I wanted to say this because I was going back through the mailbag, and several of you have, have emailed me about this, and I have not responded, and I'm sorry uh, because of it because a, a lot of times I feel bad and don't know what to say. Uh, and it's kind of been about getting into the business, uh, my business. Um, and, and, and so I figured I'd just address it right now. I didn't want you guys to think that, you know, I didn't think you guys could be in the business or, uh, or that, you know, you weren't worthy or, or talented enough or, or whatever, because a lot of times in this business, and I'm talking about the website recruiting, uh, whole industry, 24-7 sports rivals, you know, we're free ESPN for a while. Uh, own three is a new thing uh, out there. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about that for a second, uh, briefly. Uh, you know, I haven't responded because, number one, the, the jobs that that I have access to are, are strictly with the thebigspur.com and then this podcast. And so uh, – and there's no job on the podcast. I mean, I'm hiring a producer because we're going to a daily show, but I'm coming out of pocket for that and also – uh, with some other funding. Um, and it doesn't pay a lot. And, you know, what we have available on the big spur is nothing, you know, it, it's basically there are five full-time incomes that come off that site. Uh, and there is an entry level position John Del Bianco had, uh, and then Alex Jones has taken over and really done a great job for us, but it's not, you know, it's not the, the glamorous work. I mean, that's a, it's kind of the plow mule, um, 
of the whole operation. You, you sit there in a computer and you, you write articles and try to find content and stuff like that. So, you know, Big Spur is full. And, and so I don't have an opening there to kind of say, hey, yeah, why don't you apply for it? And, you know, as far as getting into the business overall, it it's really, you know, the great thing about it is that, um, you know, people in my business come from a lot of different backgrounds. I, I was in early 2000, the early 2000s, I was in the newspaper business. I had a double degree in theater and journalism from USC Upstate. I did an internship, uh, a paid internship with the Anderson Independent Mail, uh, driving all over the upstate my last semester in college. Um, I parlayed that into my first job with the Seneca Daily Journal. Uh, how about that? Uh, I was working at the Seneca Daily Journal, and any, everybody in that building is a Clemson fan. Uh, in 02 when the Gamecocks knocked him out of the College World Series. So I had a, uh, a pretty fun day uh, just kind of keeping to myself <laughs> with that. But um, And then I got on with uh, the Times in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, which was a Gannett property that, you know, owned USA Today and all that. Then they sold it to a terrible company called Morris. Uh, there's two Morris Communications, and this was the lesser one uh, based out of Georgia. Um, and I was there six months and got promoted to sports editor uh, after my boss left, which is good. Good job. Kind of rose up the ranks pretty quickly. Uh, but I learned then that, you know, the business sports journalism in general was going online. And that, that you know, when I looked at it, you know, I, I, I saw an ad for a job at Rivals and uh, in Nashville moved my wife at the time to Nashville, took a chance that the money was even, uh, I went for even money. But, uh, once I went there, I, I kind of took to it like a fish takes the water. They figured out I could evaluate football talent for whatever reason. I, I don't, I don't know how I ended up being able to do that pretty well. Uh, but I did, I've always loved the game. And, you know, sometimes when you're evaluating, I mean, there's little things you look for and, you know, I'm also very observant, and so I rose up the ranks and then ESPN contacted me and I started the big spur. And then after my non-compete was up with them, with rivals, I was a national recruiting guy for them in 24 seven sports and always had the big spur with me. And then in 15, I left and uh, that part of it and uh, decided to uh, just dive into the big spur and podcasting and all that. And then that's where we are today. Uh so that was my background. And then I wanted, you know, some other people, I mean, what I'll tell you this, the three guys in my business that I think are the best evaluators. Uh, one was a roofer before he got into the business. Uh, the other one uh, was a guy that whose brothers played college football, but he didn't, but he's always just loved the game and lives it and breathes it and is great at evaluating film. And the other one uh, was a, a punter in high school. Uh, whose dad uh, was a longtime high school football coach. And he had just been around the game for a while. And, you know, two of those guys are really good at uh, evaluating basketball talent too. You know, they just have a knack for it. And, and those are the three uh, that, that I think are the best uh, in my business that I've ever come across. So it's all different backgrounds. So, so those of you out there that think you have to have a degree in journalism, that's not true. Uh, you just have to have kind of a knack for it and a passion for it. And, you know, a lot of folks don't realize the grind. Uh, it's a burnout business, uh, to be honest, you know, with message boards and 
now social media and, and all this stuff. It's, it's, it's one that, you know, I feel bad sometimes because my hobby became my job. Um, you know, when I was working in the newspapers, obviously it's, it's a local newspapers, high school sports, basically. Uh, occasionally I'd go to Georgia tech and cover a college football game, but um, basically high school sports. And, and at the time, you know, you, you had Gamecock Central where Tony was, and then they Spurrier had just come and he broke that news. And, you know, you, you had another site, Rusty the Rooster site, uh, which I got, I mean, I lived in the Sports Talk SC, you name it. I lived on the message boards. And I realized that sports is so instantaneous, you know, in terms of the scores and, and you know, the, the info and, and all that. Pe- people don't want to wait around for the paper to come out, uh, you know. So that was – that was me back then. And my hobby was obviously Carolina. Now Carolina's my job. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's sad uh, because my hobby is now politics. And you know, it's like, a, like for entertainment, I'll read political stuff. And it's just, you know, that's kind of backward in a lot of ways. Uh, but, you know, look, I'm not crying because I have this job. I'm not, you know, I, I think it's good. But I, I think that, you know, if I had advice for anybody out there that wants to get in it, you know, you're going to have to work for a little money uh, for a while uh, to kind of establish yourself and establish your value. And that's the great thing about my business, I think, is, you know, you, you don't have to have this big resume to get an opportunity. Uh, but it, it is a kind of an eat what you kill, so to speak, business. Uh, and, and you know, you're not going to come in with a lot of value, but you know, the good news is, is that if you gain value as you go along, you get taken care of financially. Unlike that newspaper business or, or whatever business where you're waiting on the 3% cost of living increase, you know, I, I, I know that the guys on my website have seen their incomes skyrocket. You know, like I said, we're taking care of five households uh, on the big spur. But I, I saw those emails and I, I, I have a lot of respect for them. I don't always respond personally just because i you know I, I i just don't have any kind of opening or anything and uh you know i, I feel bad because <laughs> I, I i'd love to give everybody a shot but uh, that's just not you know realistic from a business standpoint and i'm not one that's going to ask anybody to do anything for free so you know even if you wanted to i don't you know and said you did you know i because you, you don't know what, what if you get in there and do a good job and you need to get paid something and, you know, we're full, you know, so then where do you, do you go to a competitor? I don't know. You, know, you got to be careful with things like that. So anyway, I want to address that quickly because I've gotten several of those emails. I get them a lot. And I just wanted to say mad respect for you for reaching out. Um, don't give up, you know, uh, if you want to be uh, in the business, there are a lot of times openings. I know that uh, Penn's you know, opening cover in Penn State 24-7 right now. Um, but, you know, and then don't think that your background, you know, you, you have to be able to write to a certain extent. You know, it's got to be legible because nobody's got time to sit there and edit everything in this business. But uh, you can find something that works for you. It doesn't have to be perfect uh, from that standpoint. All right. Gamecock baseball team won yesterday, four to one, closing out uh, a disappointing regular season. I don't know that. That's probably too little, too late. Obviously, um, credit the guys for fighting through. The bullpen had a good day. They won four to one over Florida, and then they turn right back around on Tuesday and play the Gators again. Uh, and you know, take your shot. 
I mean, I, I, I would say if the pitching situation wasn't like it was, stranger things have happened in terms of the Gamecocks marching through Hoover. But we know the history there. We also know this. We, we know that uh, the, the, in a large tournament field like that, I've said this before, you have to have pitching uh, and deep pitching if you have any chance to win it. Uh, and I think that's what it would take. The game guys have to make a, either a very deep run or they have to win the whole thing. I, I, do they have it? I don't know. I don't think so. It would take some of those uh, Ray Tanner era, let's let the closer start in the regional. <laughs> uh, uh, massively impressive nine-inning kind of win anyway that I haven't seen that out of this team. Uh, very often this year at all. So, anyway, Gators and Gamecocks SEC tournament this year. Then we'll find out what happens uh, with Mark Kingston moving forward. Want to thank everybody that signed up for the Big Spur Golf Tournament Fairways for Fish. That's tomorrow. Um, Will Gunner from 107.5 is going to be broadcasting live out there. Several coaches from sports are coming out. Uh, John Whittle, of course, will be there. Hill McGranahan, Alex Jones from the website. Tony. Uh, is on vacation, and I have to watch the site. Had another kind of trip planned right around the corner, so it wasn't feasible for me to make it. Uh, but certainly thank all of you out there. Uh, I know Village Idiot Pizza came in uh, with a sponsorship. Uh, you know, uh, Vista Art sponsored it. I mean, uh, I'll list them all on tomorrow's show, but we thank you, and we thank all of you for signing up and playing. I mean, we had, a, I think, room for 100. I think we're right at 100, so... Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Nana's Porch and uh, Ultimate Tailgaters providing food. Nana's Porch uh, is a uh, tremendous uh, deal, and uh, I think he's going to be out at the golf course right now uh, this afternoon uh, getting that pig smoke. So that, that'll be outstanding. Uh, obviously, raising money uh, for Ryan Fisher in uh, his uh, scholarship foundation. Uh, obviously, he was – uh, a guy that worked in equipment at Carolina, beloved by everyone, tragically died of COVID with a wife and a new, I mean, a sad situation, but uh, I did not know him personally. I'll admit that, you know, but uh, I kind of wish I had of because everybody that knew him loved him and uh tragic situation. But, you know, the TBS golf tournament, which was Whittle's brainchild and Whittle's put in a lot of work. Uh, it's going to be uh, a tremendous, it's going to be bigger than any golf tournament we've ever had. And uh, I want to thank everybody for coming out for that. Um, what else? What else do we have besides, oh, we have uh, any kind of new information, any kind of news. And nah, that's just about it for the news. Oh, Keyshawn Bryant, my former basketball player, uh, turned pro. And uh, I'm sorry, turned pro, but then is coming back to college. Or He's going to University of South Florida. He's from that area. I think it's probably good for him. Um, I've said this about Keyshawn many times. I think he's an excellent player when he plays within himself. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. South Florida's not all that good, so I, I don't know what's going to happen uh, there. Uh, you know, But when he tries to do too much, he's almost a liability at times. Uh, so the key for him moving forward, I think, you know, the South Florida coaching staff, it'll be up to them to get this out of him, is to – you know, play within himself. I mean, you know, at the end of 2020, he did that. Times in 2021, he did that. I don't know about this year. I, I think it was kind of a cattywampus season for him. Uh, the the missed dunk in the SEC tournament sort of summed it up. 
you know, because he'd do some spectacular things, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's dribbling off his foot, missing dunks, whatever, miss bricking layups. There's a big brick in the Auburn game that would have tied it at the end of the year. But uh, I'm not being critical of him. I'm just telling it like it is as far as Keyshawn Bryant goes. And um, that's uh, that's just what he's got to work on. And I think if he does that, he'll be a hell of a player at the University of South Florida right there uh, in his home area. So uh, hats off to him uh, for being a Gamecock. And uh, certainly everybody's going to be pulling for him for the rest of the way. All right. Uh, analysis segment slash uh, mailbag, because that's that's going to be a mailbag focused thing. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you uh, about Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane Real Estate. Told you about her before, married to a dire Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you with all your real estate needs. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or C Searfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Uh, anywhere in the upstate, she can help you get things done uh, on the real estate front. All right, so mailbag. And, and I, look, you know, uh, I'm looking at my – I got this thing. It, was, it wasn't it was to the podcast, but it's uh, – to my personal uh, Twitter account. And uh, it's at JC Sherbert, if you want to follow me, S H U R B U R T T. Gene Barry chimes in and uh, don't know what his problem is. Uh, obviously, he's got a lot of opinions uh, about Ray Tanner. And, um, you know, so there we go. Uh, so he texts, tweets me, and and I take a big exception to this uh, because uh, there's a lot of fact-free information uh, in there, right? At J.C. Sherp, amazed at how intimidating Ray Tanner must be <laughs> for you and many others not hold, holding him accountable, failed baseball and basketball programs. Yes, football with current situation not determined, not to mention the financial mess they are in borrowing from the general school's fund. All right, so look, I don't think Ray Tanner's above criticism. I was critical, obviously, uh, of the way the Lamont Paris coaching search went down. Uh, you know, I don't think that's, uh, I mean, holding him accountable, I mean, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Uh, I look at what happens and look at the facts and comment on them. That's my job. Uh, I've defended him against unfair criticism because some of the criticism, like your tweet here, Gene, uh, is clueless. And uh, or, or, I'm sorry, it includes clueless elements. I think it's fine to be mad at Ray Tanner over the state of the baseball program. Uh, as I've said many times, there's not an AD in America that would not have hired Chad Oldbrook to replace him. Uh, Eric Hyman stays. I bet your bottom dollar that's happening. You know, there's a lot of revisionist history out there about Eric Hyman too, by the way. And I get it. When when things are good and teams are winning, everybody's a hero. And when things are not good, you know, everybody's a clown. <laughs> and that happens. Uh, Ray, Ray Tanner's not intimidating. Uh, Ray Tanner deserves, just like anybody else, fairness. You know? 
uh, in this business. And, and there are some things he gets blamed for that are not the responsibility of an AD. Uh, hiring Kingston, obviously, I think that's a mistake. And if they retain him, I'll tell you, I think it's a mistake to retain him. Um, I've said that, you know, before any decision has been made. Uh, I said that uh, the Lamont Paris hire was a little tone deaf when it happened. And I did not like the way the search went down. It was kind of embarrassing. You know, so don't don't sit here and tell me I'm not critical of Ray Tanner. As far as holding him accountable, I mean, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Start a petition? I mean, that's clown college, man. It's not my job to start a petition to get somebody fired. Uh, and that's, that's a, that, that's a, don't, don't come at me with, you know, he's intimidating you and you're, you're like, nobody, nobody actually intimidates me. Okay. Nobody. All right. I'm not, I try to be fair. You know, you know, what intimidates me is if I feel like I'm not being fair and only then will you hear me go, uh, eh, probably wasn't fair. Need to maybe apologize. Or if I'm wrong, I will say, and that doesn't intimidate me, but I'll admit it if I'm wrong. Um, and, and look, I, I think, you know, some of the early returns on Kingston when he was first hired, uh, were positive from baseball people. Uh, his first season ended well. I don't know that it was a great year as time's going on. You, you haven't heard me really stand up for the guy and that includes last season where the, it's a pretty good year, but, uh, includes last season. And, and even with the injuries, I've said, that's no excuse. So, uh, so yeah, so I, you know, hold him accountable, whatever. If you're talking about me not being, being critical, I'm like, yeah. Okay. So you said failed basketball programs. Uh, number one, let me just remind you that South Carolina was 18 and 13 and nine and nine in the SEC, uh, last year. I'll also remind you of this, uh, Ray Tanner did not hire Frank Martin. Eric Hyman did. So if you if you if you were mad about the hire, which is idiotic, because you know no matter what you thought about the post Final Four Martin era, he built a Final Four team in six years, okay, and they got better and better and better every year. Now I don't know, I mean, just kind of like Muschamp, the bottom fell out, or, or I don't I don't know that the bottom fell out. I, I think that it was hard to get a team back to that level, but they still. You know, and nobody else has coached here during the SEC era has has done what he did in the SEC. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot of losing records by, by Dave Odom and Eddie Fogler, especially Darren Horn. You know, uh, I, I thought that Frank's teams, for the most part, were uh, what I would call competitive. Was it good enough? No. And Ray made a change. And and as I've said a lot, had it not been for COVID. Uh, the change probably would have made a long, been made a long time ago. Uh, I don't think anybody in the athletic department was thrilled after the Final Four with what happened with basketball. And and is that fair? I don't know. When you consider the history, is that fair to rate to, to Frank Martin? I don't know. Uh, you know, I I think behind the scenes, you know, Lamont Paris is working a lot, and his staff are working a lot harder than you think. But because Lamont Paris isn't really a social media guy and, and he's not out there, you know, selling himself in that regard, you know, people, I think people are kind of in the dark. But failed basketball program, I mean, again, that's completely unfair and fact free. You know, I mean, what, what failed basketball program? I mean, you know, 
he fired a guy that was 500 in the league and won 18 games, which is record-wise better than 70, 80% of the teams the Gamecocks have, uh, you know, put on the floor in the SEC. I, I don't know what, what the heck you're talking about. So there you go. Uh, baseball, yeah, I'm right there with you. Change needs to be made. And if it doesn't, it's on Ray Tanner. Um, you know, I, I, I was critical of Tanner for not parting ways with Muschamp in tw- after 2019, although, you know, I, I could see the point. And, and, you know, you look back on it and, you know, Ray Tanner couldn't predict that COVID was going to happen or the summer of 2020 was going to happen with everything. Uh, but I'm glad Muschamp stayed because – Shane Beamer has a hell of a lot of good players that committed during that time for the class of 2020 on his roster. And that's helping him. Uh, And nobody left and everybody, and you know, you bring in a new coach when all that's happening a lot. I mean, who knows who would have uh, departed. Right. Um, So, and and who knows who they would have signed in the 2020 class, which is a, a big chunk of the roster. Right. You know, so now I'm not going to go back in time and say, well, Ray was right because he's not a fortune teller, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, that's the deal there. Um, you know, so football is and, and football is trending in the right direction. I don't think anybody would argue that it's not. Now, we'll see. It's year two, you know, uh, and we'll see how they look this year. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, things are hunky dory and they're going to Atlanta, but you know, football is heading in the right direction by all measures. Recruiting, on field wins, seven and six. Uh, you know, were there some disappointing games? Absolutely. And, and for a first year staff, uh, trying to teach guys how to win uh, and all that good stuff, it's, uh, you know, I thought it ended pretty well. Let's just put it that way. All right, so then he goes on, not to mention the financial mess they are in, barring from the school's general fund. This is the most fact-free thing you've said. Okay. Now, I understand the dog and pony show that Dick Harpootlian and uh, the clueless members of the board of trustees that, that were in the committee meeting, if you've watched the video, people are idiot. People said some just dumb things, you know, because the answer to that is, Buyouts are a part of, of, of doing business in the SEC. It's the price of doing business in the SEC. If you would like us uh, to apply for membership in another league, uh, if you're talking about money and money being drained out of the university, which was BS, uh, it was a one-time, uh, let's get through this. Uh, and it's been paid back. and It'll be p- paid back in in uh, in you know, athletics gives to the university. You know, it's not the other way around. This is a one-time thing. Plus, this whole notion that the University of South Carolina is not flush with cash is, I've been told, it's bogus. Uh, the university's making money, right? Um, it's a $1.3 billion a year enterprise, the University of South Carolina. Uh, you know, and, and so this whole notion that the buyouts are draining the university or that athletics is in a 40 million. That's not true. You know, I mean, you, you want to put them in another conference and not do buyouts and down, you know, downsize the role of athletics. Sure. Yeah. Go, go get in the Sun Belt. you know, something like that. ACC would take care of a lot. 
there's going to be about a hundred million dollar difference in revenue here in five or by 2028 and between the SEC and ACC, if things continue as they are, but yeah, you want to do that. Let Clemson take Carolina spot uh, in the uh, SEC and just, you know, chalk up, you know, just quit playing them at that point. Cause that's over that, that, that rivalry is over. Okay. Uh, and I know it's been frustrating for however many years, but, you know, money helps. Money helps. And having that kind of revenue gap is really going to help. Okay? So there's no financial mess there. Yet. That's, that, that's bull crap. I mean, that, that, that was guys that were so worried, and it ended up happening anyway, that they, they weren't approved to, to move on. And, you know, politically they, they got saved because of some good old boy politicking. But th- those were guys begging to save their, their jobs uh, or, or their, their positions. This is not a job. On the board of trustees, groveling at the feet of one guy, uh, Dick Harpootley. And, and look, I agree with Harpootley that that board needs to be revamped. There's no question about it. But he's absolutely barking up the wrong tree when it comes to athletics buyouts. Uh, again, you know, his school, Clemson, if let's say something happened and Dabo had to get fired, you know how much money they're going to have to pay him? It makes Will Muschamp look like, you know, you're tipping the pizza guy. You know, Frank Martin's buyout was nothing. You know, the, and if they change baseball coaches, and I think it's going to be a sad day. Uh, and look, I don't want to, Gene, I don't want to hear anything about if they don't, if they say the buyout's the reason for not, moving forward uh, with terminating Kingston, if that's cited as a reason, right, then that is completely on the board of trustees and not on Ray Tanner. Because the money, they have the money to do it. It's a drop in the bucket. And you don't even pay that. A buyout like that, you don't even pay it right away. You split it up. It's just like the guy remains on the payroll for however many years, which is normal. And price of doing business in the SEC, right? If you care about a sport, price of doing business. Baseball loses about $1.1 million a year at the University of South Carolina. That's not bad. Those are not bad margins. By comparison, women's basketball loses about six, seven. So, and that's the most successful program on campus right now. So, they have it. I mean, and, and now, are they, would there be a scenario where the board of trustees says we're not going to approve it? Or, and I don't even know if the BOT, like their their play would be we're not approving a new contract for a coach because I, I don't think the buyout is something that you have to get approved. Um, and really none of it should – I mean, really the school president should sign off on everything athletically and the board should have nothing to say about it, right, other than here's your budget, here's what you're getting from the school, which is none. I mean, you know, you're talking about $140 million a year coming in off athletics. And that number, as the new SEC TV deals are going to kick in with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league, uh, with some other things that are going to – I mean, it, 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 that, that number is going to skyrocket. So so don't talk to me about financial mess. They're not in a financial mess. That was – that was um, – that was theater, man. That was theater. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and it was damaging. Because if you, if you continue to, to go down this path, Gene, and, and, and spew misinformation because you're mad at, at, at the baseball program not winning, and look, I'm, everybody should be. You should be outraged about it. But you know what? 
spewing things like they're in a financial mess, you know, and, and acting like that's fact and it's fact free. They're not, a, there's no financial mess. They had to get a, a short-term bridge loan to cover their bills during COVID, right? And uh, so it's like, you know, and that money's going to go right back. I mean, and it's not like the university's missing it, okay? That was theater, right? Um, and, you know, so saying things like that, what that does is, is you go, uh, oh, our University of South Carolina is not going to pay buyouts anymore. Oh, okay, so you want to get rid of Ray now. Well, who's going to be the athletic director? Uh, not because they're going to need a buyout, but because you can't go hire coaches without doing it. You know? Now, we can have a greater discussion about coaching contracts, Jimmy Sexton, and, you know, some of these deals. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a bigger college athletics discussion. But, you know, University of South Carolina cannot change that on their own. You know, so you start saying no buyouts. Nobody's coming here to coach, uh, to do the athletic director. Nothing. You're done. You may as well get that Sunbelt application ready if you don't want to do buyouts. Uh, and, and then if you want to buy into the absolute lie uh, that it's draining the university of resources. And I'm not saying that $40 million or a million or however many, um, However many, I'm not saying that's, shoot, that's life-changing money for all of us. However, it's the price of doing business. Uh, it's big. It's a big money business, Gene. Okay. Uh, the days of $25 tickets at williams Bryce, and you've been able to join Roundhouse for 50 bucks and get seats. Uh, unfortunately, those are over. I bet you still could get seats, though, because there's plenty of seats remaining. But, uh, you know, Gamecock – Football used to be a bargain. Well, that's over. You know, and it's just the reality of the league. Carolina's, you know, like I said, you want to you want to revisit that? That's fine. Uh, But anyway, your your little snarky, smart, smart assed, honestly to God, tweet is not welcome. It's not true. Uh, It's not accurate. Uh, And I hope you learned something. If you're listening to this podcast, if not, I tweeted back at you. I was a little nicer than I was here, but uh, just wanted to do it. Also, uh, Dylan tweets in to the big school. Oh, Gene has responded. All right, let me get to this. They borrowed from the general fund of the school for Tanner's construction excesses. Construction excesses. Sorry, I had to pause there for a second. Uh, They borrowed from the general fund of the school for Tanner's construction excesses. That's not true. Don't be afraid with him. The major men's sports are in shambles. Well, is football? You know, whatever, Gene. So anyway, I hope you listen to the podcast because I really think, you know, this is just beyond idiotic. They did not borrow for the first Tanner's Construction Act. So you don't want to have the operations building. Okay. You know, whatever. And the ops building was funded a lot by private donate. The long, it's, it's called the Long Family Football Operations Building for a reason. 
construction excesses. You know, it, look, it's fine to be mad if teams are losing. You're fans. I get it. But don't make stuff up. By the way, another guy comes in, Dylan. Um, and, and all I got to say is this, dude, you know, number one, don't don't tweet no sh- S-word Sherlock at the Big Spur account, uh, you know, when they tweet something about Clowney being the best player left in free agency. Uh, you know, I see that you say father, see on your, your thing here. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, it's follower of Christ, lover of the sports. And I mean, I'm like, well, you know, maybe cut down on the profanity if you're going to, you know, do that. Anyway, clowns on Twitter, whatever. Time for a good break. Tony Pope State Farm Insurance. We'll be right back. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right. Even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. And uh, now time for the real mailback questions. ways to get in the mailbag here gene my gosh gene uh i hope you're listening anyway i'm not gonna let that bother ruin my sunday here right uh and you can tweet to at the big spur pod um and sometimes like gene did if you tweet to me or like uh, dylan did tweet to the big spur account the big spur 247 uh, i'll respond to those too especially if there's something i don't agree with um so I got to your all right. So I missed one from Gamecock Pastor on the Twitter line the other day, and I apologize. And he's asked about recruiting in the state of Texas. He's like, with uh, Great House coming in for an official visit, Samson coming in as a freshman. Don't forget Peyton Williams, also from Texas, and Austin Stogner's from Texas. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder if grabbing a receiver out of a talent rich Texas might be the move every year. Thank God for Steps' connections there. Any thoughts on prioritizing that plan? Uh, I, I I like receivers from Texas, and, and the reason why is if you need help right away, and I think Landon Sampson will show you this. Uh, if now, now look, Pastor, I'll tell you this: I don't, I'm not as bullish on him playing as much as I was uh, because they got Corey Rucker, and Wells had a good spring, and then Xavier Leggett and Amarian Brown, who are returning players, also were really good this spring. They stepped up. So I'm not as, you know, bullish. I think Samson will play, uh, hopefully. Um, but, you know, it's not as cut and dry as maybe it once was when you looked at the depth chart there. But I love receivers out of Texas because, you know, if you need a ready-made guy, and, and there's a lot of them, uh, most of those high schools, not all of them, but most of the high schools in Texas, they run spread. It's just like the Big 12, Air Raid, that kind of stuff. And so you get guys, and, and they have a – and, and this is it's been this way in Texas for about 20 years now. They have a very robust seven on seven 
uh, program at all schools. And I used to cover, I used to go to College Station, Texas in early July, which is brutal. <laughs> you really appreciate how that iced tea uh, at the, the barbecue, the Texas barbecue place hits after standing out in treeless College Station uh, in July in 98 degree weather, watching seven on seven. That's the Texas state championship seven on seven. Uh, it's always there, or I guess at least when I was covering it and every team, boom, 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 quarterbacks, receivers, you, you name it. They are, that state's full of them. And, you know, I think that in South Florida for speed or the state of Florida in general for speed uh, is always good. I'm not as, as high on receivers out of Georgia. Um, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina does. I mean, Georgia's kind of – I mean, I, I don't know. There are good receivers that come out of Georgia. Don't get me wrong, but most of them end up being Bulldogs or, you know, going to Bama or something like that. But uh, And a lot of them are busts, you know, just to be honest. And you, you, can, you can kind of look at, you know, Georgia receivers over the years. You know, thank goodness Josh Van, you know, had the year he did last year, and I think he's going to be good again this year. Uh, he's from Georgia. Um but sexual receivers. Now, Jaheim Bell, different kind of freaky guy, you know, good receiver as well. He's also from Georgia. But, you know, I, I, think, I think that's smart. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the state of Texas is so heavily recruited uh, that it gets tough to get like the great houses. Uh, but he's still visiting. And when, when he visits, anything can happen. And then, but, but you have a Landon Sampson who, you know, didn't have a lot of in-state attention until TCU came in late and tried to get him once Sonny Dykes went there. Um, and you'll have a Peyton Williams in the secondary that just, you know, for whatever reason, he's not up on their offer board. And these are really polished guys. I always say Texas kids have a high floor, low, but a lower – they're not lower, they're closer to their ceiling because they're all so well-coached. Uh, you have a lot of really great coaches in that state, and a lot of high school football is king in the state of Texas. So I, I'm with you, and, and I think getting one or two out of that state, now that you have what? You're going to have four on the roster with Stogner, Williams, Sampson, or that's, that's three. Anybody from Texas still left? No, from the other one, no. Uh, but that, that's three, and uh, for a state way out that way, that's smart. That's smart. So, uh, and I do think Justin Stepp spends time out there, you know, and he recruits wife's from Texas. He recruited that state for the University of Arkansas quite well. Uh, and, and he knows where to go find guys. So I am uh, I am with you there, Pastor, uh, on that one. All right, so that's the Twitter line. Now, you also can get in in the inbox inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, and that's where we have a bunch of things. Uh, Chris? says jc wanted to get your thoughts i believe you said in the past that high school players will often commit based on the college program uh, trajectory of success from their sophomore junior season rather than their senior season like how the class of 2020 was spectacular despite a four and eight year in 2019 that's right you know by the time the season gets here especially chris with the early signing period guys have generally either made up their mind or narrowed it to two two or three schools i mean you know you don't really have guys anymore going wide open and it's a shame because I think the the senior riser has gone the way of the dodo bird. And I, and I think you're going to see some guys that are senior risers go to schools that are group of five or, you know, FCS that are, then they're, then they're going to hit the portal and, and go to a, 
a big time place in a couple of years uh, where they could, they were probably good enough out of high school to come play. Um, and uh, yeah, so he says that and maybe it may be anecdotal, but I see a lot of momentum for the 2024 class from a top end and depth standpoint with guys who have been to campus and publicly showing love to the program. My worry is that if we can't have the success we're expecting, particularly on offense this year, many of these skill position players like wide receiver and running back are going to be turned off down the line in future classes. Yeah. Well, there's no excuse not to be better on offense this year. And, uh, and I'll say this, you know, there's something about the plan that Marcus Satterfield's selling to recruits quarterbacks in particular, that's very, very appealing. Um, you know, you got to do it on the field, obviously, but quarterbacks seem to be lining up. So, We'll see kind of what happens. You know, I think with some of your higher-rated guys, wide receiver or running back, you know, Carolina's in on right now, NIL is going to play a factor. Uh, and so you got to keep that in mind as well. The cat was out of the bag with Muschamp after 2019, a 4-8 year where offense and overall play clearly had an impact on recruiting the 2021 class even before and during the pandemic. Yeah, but keep in mind, I mean, pandemic hit in March of 2020 – you know, guys like Bobo and, and Cox and, and Dez Kitchings had just gotten there. Uh, so Dez didn't have a chance to get on the road, and Bobo didn't either. And, you know, say what you want about Mike Bobo, he's a hell of a recruiter. And so, you know, they didn't really have a shot. I mean, getting Juju McDowell in that class was big, I thought. Uh, and then Beamer and company getting some guys out of the portal later uh, were big. But – um yeah, you know, in 2021, you also have to think about this, to, to your point, to back up your point, you know, because it sounded – I was playing a little defense there, but not really. Uh, In-state, you know, you had a guy, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who's at Georgia now, probably would have been a game cock had it not been for this coaching uncertainty. And uh, Justice Boone, who's at Florida, out of Sumter, of all places, probably would have been a game cock had it not – so those two guys on the D-line uh, were huge, pandemic or no – uh, the reasons they left the state were, you know, obviously because of, uh, you know, the uncertainty surrounding Will Muschamp. And he goes, on another note, I'm okay with being, bringing Kingston back next year, but he's got to get to 40 wins and start the season hot like in 2021 because outside of opening day, I don't think many casual fans are going to be invested in this team after finishing below 30 wins for the third time in school history. I think it's the fifth. Uh, but it's the second time under Kingston. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, but this feels like rock bottom. I agree, but I'm not in favor of not making a change. Um, now, look, I'm not going to sit here and bash Mark Kingston all offseason. We'll see what he's got. Stranger things have happened. Sometimes, you know, you, you get into year six, seven, eight, and things turn uh, in athletics. But I'm not – I think there's an opportunity – for South Carolina to upgrade its baseball program this offseason. And I would hate for that opportunity uh, to slip away. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you for your email, Chris. Certainly appreciate it. Oh, Chris got his back to back, back to back, back to back. JC, don't know if you want to speculate on potential replacement for our baseball coach. In case that decision gets made, if you don't feel comfortable with it, disregard this email and I'll resend it if it comes to that. Um, no, I, I'll tell you, I, I think, uh, I think there's four guys that, that I would look at Dan McDonald from Louisville, um, 
has Louisville up there again this year in the ACC. That's sort of a northern outpost. Uh, their athletics program since Tom Jurek's left, I don't, I don't know that they have the same stable situation. Carolina can afford to pay him. Uh, former Citadel assistant ties to the state uh, would be a grand slam uh, hire. Link Jarrett from Notre Dame uh, used to be at UNC Greensboro. Notre Dame again, northern outpost. And you're talking about a northern outpost. South Bend, Indiana is not a baseball hotbed. Now they've been good in the past. Paul Maneri, who uh, was at LSU uh, for a while and won a national championship for the Tigers. Uh, was at Notre Dame before he came. I mean, so they've been good over the years. Don't get me wrong. But still a cold-weather school. And, and those schools, I mean, you know, Michigan going to the finals of the College World Series a couple of years ago was a miracle. Even though it's the University of Michigan and they're good at everything, baseball, you know, in the, the cold-weather environment, not all that. Um, and so, you know, there's Link Jarrett, uh, uh, good one. Craig Goodwin from uh, East Carolina. He may be the best coach out of everybody. Uh, East Carolina people rave about him. He is home. Um, maybe Godwin. I may be mispronouncing it. But but he's home. He's an ECU guy. He's a pirate. Um, and the talk is he may not – may not. I don't even want to leave East Carolina. So that's, that's fine. I mean, ECU obviously has had its moments in baseball and, and football over the years. And if, if you're, if you're an East Carolina fan, it, it really gets in your blood. Uh, believe me, I, I know, I know some East Carolina fans and they're, they're, they're hardcore. And, and I respect that. Um, and, and then Scott Jackson from Liberty, who's a guy that, uh, you know, I, I'd probably place higher odds on Jackson than, than maybe the other two. I just kind of know Tanner likes him. He used to be at UNC Chapel Hill, young guy, but a big time winner. Uh, I mean, those four guys are <laughs> – I think they're massive upgrades, you know, just to be honest. You never know. You know, maybe hire Dan McDonald. Maybe the maybe college baseball's changed. I mean, I sort of look at it, and I remember how Tanner used to put together teams with JUCOs and in-state kids and all that. Now look, and it's, it's getting sophomores to commit and, you know, in baseball. I mean, you don't know – how a guy's arm's going to be. I mean, you know, they play so many games. I was talking to Whittle about this, and, and he he could probably give a better, like, breakdown of it, but he agreed in general with me, you recruit way too early in that sport. And it's like a bite you never know what you're going to get. So you got to be good and resourceful and all that. And then you got the transfer portal now, too. Um, so you never know. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe somebody comes in here with a big pedigree and he can't win. Then what do you do? Um, but those four guys. So Chris goes on and says, if I remember correctly, Kevin O'Sullivan was offered the job and turned it down after winning the College World Series in 2017 and got a new stadium. Do you think he'd reconsider this time around? Florida's attendance still sucks, and while they might have a recruiting advantage, we could pay him well and promise him he'll be more appreciated. Um, if they went down, I doubt they'd go down. I'll say this. I don't think they're going to go down that road um, like they did last time. And uh, – there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Um, now, if they did, do I think maybe he would reconsider? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Chris Lamontis has to get a call, too, just to gauge where he's at. They've struggled this year, but he's been proven to be a winner. 
And as South Carolina connections, I could never see a scenario that Mississippi State doesn't fight tooth and nail to keep him, though. Yeah, and his struggles at Mississippi State, Chris, are the reason I'm questioning the recruiting in that sport. I'm like, well, how did this happen? You know, was there nobody left? How do you go from national champion to – I think they're out of the SEC tournament. Uh, I understand this is a brutally tough league, but <clears throat> Mississippi State as a program really doesn't take a back seat to many. You know, and, and so that's that. You know, I, you know, Lamontis wanted it last time, and I think he was in Indiana at the time. And, you know, that, that was probably a misevaluation <laughs> a little bit on the part of Tanner. But, um, you know, I, I would, I would call out of the four I mentioned, I'd probably call him. Uh, Chris says, I hear a lot about Landon Powell. Obviously, I'm concerned with the level change he'd have to adjust to. You know, he's winning. But, you know, I don't think this time around you can go with a Landon Powell. I mean, in basketball, look, look, now, if it gets down to Landon Powell and somebody with a lackluster resume, uh, like a hit or miss resume at the mid-major level, which I don't think it will, but if it does, uh, yeah, you go with your guy. Uh, and he's a winner. He's, he's won at North Greenville. And I, I think Landon Powell is uh, going to be really good you know, as he moves up the coaching ladder. I just don't think the timing right now, uh, you know, I, I think what this is, is is what I like to call a caged animal hire. Uh, you have a program that's a proud program that's fallen on hard times, uh, but the capabilities there, it's been a great program since the 70s. So it's not like the Tanner era was the only era that they've had success. Uh, it was an era of unprecedented success. It was the most successful era, obviously, uh, especially toward the end, but, you know, it's not like he's the only one that's ever won at Carolina. And so you've had two hires now that just hadn't worked out and it's gotten worse. Uh, so I think you need a guy. I mean, I think you need like a, a guy that you look at and go, oh, he's going to win. You know, will he win another national championship? That's the hope. But, you know, sometimes baseball, <laughs> you know, it takes a little luck and a little bit of a, a streak. You know, you got to get hot at the right time. But uh, I do believe that uh, there's guys out there right now like that. Uh, and all four that I mentioned, plus Lamonis, if you want to call him, would be fine. And those guys would be ahead of Landon. And I just don't see it getting past those four. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he said Brian O'Connor, a guy from Virginia. Somebody out west like LSU last year, no. Uh, if Clemson moves on for Monty Lee. You see us getting into a bidding war over some of these same candidates. He said, thanks for – for yeah, look, I don't think for baseball, Clemson's going to win a bidding war with Carolina if it comes down to money. But I also don't think they're going to move on from Monty Lee based on what I've heard. Thanks, Chris, for two. Um, Joseph says with the – all right, I may have read this on the last podcast, but I don't remember, so I'm going to answer it again. With the NCAA rule change, can Freddie Kitchens be in the box on game day? Please give your take on his potential impact. I do think he can, but I, I'm going to say this just like I've told everybody else. Please do not think that he's going to be the de facto OC. <laughs> Satterfield's still calling the plays, man. Uh, and I know it sort of looks like you know, a backup plan, but knowing Shane Beamer and knowing how long he and Freddie have been friends, it's not. Uh, it's just it's more about Freddie and how he can help the program. 
uh, and his daughters in Columbia riding horses for the equestrian team. And uh, I just think in life, sometimes you make decisions and you, you know, it's kind of like Will Muschamp at at Georgia, you know, uh, made the decision to go be an analyst there. Shoot. There's, staff shake up he ended up being the d coordinator but um uh you, you know my champ went to georgia because it's georgia this is alma mater kirby smart's his friend and his son was there you know freddie kitchen's kind of the same way going to work for his friend and his daughter's there so don't I, and i think i think his hire is going to be good just to have somebody you know another veteran guy that's been the head head coach you know, kind of like a Pete Limbo that you know, Shane Beamer can bounce things off of. Uh, obviously, you know, he's called plays at the highest level. Satterfield can use him as a sounding board. Uh, I think that's at times been needed uh, there. Uh, you know, I think that somebody sat will listen to. Um, and he's got ideas. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, the good thing about – one of the good things about Marcus Satterfield is he's not opposed to – like with Steve Spurrier, right? He's drawing up ball plays, right? That's his primary deal with with coaching offense, and all of them were his. You know, I think in the past game, you know, uh, Mangus and, and and Elliott had some run plays, obviously that they brought in, uh, which were good and very good to Carolina uh, during that era. But but that's what he does. He's drawing up plays, and you know, if you're an offensive assistant. You better be like genius on the chalkboard and let it make sense to him. And then he has to be comfortable calling it on top of that, you know, to get a play in the playbook. Now, you know, good Brian McClendon in 2018, it was kind of a a team effort with Dan Werner and Bobby Bentley and Eric Lowell. Everybody brought something to the table. That was good. 2019, he sort of limited it. Um, and I and I think in a good way, B Mac was like, if 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 anybody's going down for this, it's gonna be me. But I think in a bad way, you know, obviously that offense with Holinsky and all that didn't work out too well, especially toward the end. So uh, you know, with Marcus Satterfield, he to his credit, now game planning and you know, stuff like that, maybe a different animal, uh, play calling, all that. But as far as getting things in the playbook, he's kind of wide open. And I like that, you know. I mean, he's – he's they've got a relatively big playbook. Uh, you know, and then, of course, you scale it back for games and stuff like that. So, you know, is Freddie Kitchens going to be helping? You know, hey, look at this play. Look how it looks. Let's let, oh, well, let, well, let's put it in or whatever. That That could be something that could be happening. Um, but but I worry, Joseph, with some of this talk about is he going to be in the box that you guys think, you know, like like a Spurrier era, sometimes people would take over play calling mid-game. <laughs> but that's a Steve Spurrier thing. It never happened under Muschamp. Uh, it didn't happen last year, uh, despite some rumors to the contrary. Uh, and, and it won't happen this year. That's just not how Shane Beamer operates. Now, things look terrible. Uh like way bad, sure, you know, give Freddie a shot. Because last year, you know, there's really nobody that could have done it other than Satterfield. Eric Kimry probably could have. Justin Stepp had never done it. But I think Justin can be a good offensive coordinator, you know, at some point. But obviously those two, you know, Justin's 
quote unquote system is a lot like Kendall Browse. Uh, I think um, that's kind of what he would want to do. And then Kimry's was a lot different than, than what Sat was trying to do. So you would have had a fish out of water type of situation there as well. Thanks, Joseph. Appreciate that. We keep rolling on. Uh, Mark. Good morning, JC. Good morning. Although this was four days ago, Wednesday morning. General question, but something I've pondered in a while. Has the recruiting industry in general um, ever thought about weighted star rankings for individual players who may be a better fit based on schemes at certain schools? Uh, I'm sure an activity like this would be incredibly time-consuming, but an example would be player X is a tweener. He's an H-back, but a school that features an H-back like that would be getting a four-star rated based on his potential or projection. Uh, versus a school that uses a more traditional tight end or fullback. Yeah, all right, so I don't think you're ever going to rate an H-back four stars unless, you know, you knew the guy was going to be Jalen Samuels who who played it it, because you could call him an H-back. He's more of a tight end, uh, that kind of thing, because that's sort of determined by position value. So, like, okay, so centers – and and centers and guards, centers really should be ahead of guards, but they're not for some reason. Um, and you, you you determine position value by uh, draft position. Um, and you know there's never really an H back that, that gets there unless it's a guy that's obviously going to be like Jaheim Bell could be a first rounder, but he's obviously in the NFL going to be like a split tight, like a Kyle Pitts type of guy. I'm not comparing him to Kyle Pitts. Don't, don't freak out. I'm just saying that's that's his usage. Uh, now, to your general point, Mark, that happens, uh, especially with things like quarterbacks and running backs. I mean, you, you look and you know, like 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 if you're if you've got a guy that's on the fence, right? And and I'll give you this is an extreme example, but you know, recruiting rankings are oftentimes splitting hairs. And so you've got one guy that's like six in the country, one guy that's, that's seventh. And one of them's going to Georgia, i.e., I'm going to get a lot of carries. And then one of them's going to Mississippi State, probably getting a lot of receptions and a lot of carries. Uh, you're probably going to split hairs there and go, the Georgia kid is going to be ranked higher. Not by much, but if it's between those two, that's what you'll do. Obviously, you know, some schools put out running backs, some schools put out quarterbacks. I mean, th- there is a piece of it that, that, that does go into scheme fit, but you, you do have to have the baseline there. And position value will always override, um, you know, whatever else. Now, it's to another point to make on this, let's say if, uh, if you um, – have a school that has a, a position called H-back or, or wide back or, or whatever, you know, I guess that's what they're doing with Jaheim. And they have three or four guys that end up going in the first or second round as tight ends or running or whatever they're going to play in the NFL. Then at that point, you know, he's going to go to South Carolina to play the wide back position. And the last three guys there were this, and he's really good. So yeah, you're going to give that guy the benefit of the doubt, even though he kind of projects as a tweener. So there you go. Great question, Mark. I could talk about that stuff all day. All right. Belmont Gamecock 99. He says, congrats, JC, on ex- your decision to extend the format of your program to a daily show. Um, yeah, I uh, 
Oh, by the way, I got more. I got. I had some good news, bad news, now good news on that front. So excited about getting that thing rolling. Um, he's like, well, I don't have tons of time to get in the mailbag. I do enjoy listening to your insider viewpoints and honest takes, which leads me to NIL. Candidly, after one year of consuming content on this topic, I still have no idea what was approved and what is allowed, what explicitly, explicitly is not. Like most people, I agree college athletes need a cost of living stipend in addition to scholarships to supplement their income, as it's nearly impossible to work part-time with all the demands on their time. Yeah, and they do get cost of living now. That's been going on for a while. And now you have academic money that they're paying on top of that, too. So it's, it's probably, ah, uh, shoot, I think that the cost of living is like five fifty a month, and then the academic, you're probably looking at ten grand a year on that just straight cash. And then some guys qualify for what's called Pell grants and, you know, because their scholarship is, uh, you know, pays their tuition and fees and books and everything else. They, uh, they get that money, you know, straight cash to them as well. Uh, see, as I'm also generally in favor of players, uh, to have a side hustle selling gear, doing paid interviews or promoting independent businesses. I assume we would see wide receivers taking photos and signing autographs, on a Sunday at like a local Dick's Sporting Goods or the starting O-line posing in front of a Ford dealership are awkwardly chancing, just like our offense. Nothing stops an F-250. Come see us today at Buddy Garrity Ford. As for broader deals, I assume the NIL would also mean the return of things like the NCAA football game on Xbox or PlayStation with equal payouts headed back to the players who agree to be represented in the game. I agree there. That's what that's what it's for, you know. And, and I think South Carolina's guys, you know, to be honest – uh, for the most part, these guys have kind of taken NIL and, you know, the guys like Marshawn Lloyd and uh, Daguerrean Joyner and Spencer Rattler and uh, Devonnie Reed and, you know, Josh Mann. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh, Jaheim Bell. You know, these guys, Antoine Wells has some gear. You know, uh, they, they've almost learned to be entrepreneurs. And like I've said many times, that – Learning that is a lot better than most of the crap you learn in college, you know, that you never use. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed learning the crap. I mean, I took a, I took a women in politics and, and look, women in politics is not crap. So don't, don't, I'm not being sexist or anything like that. I just said, you know, I had no use for the things I learned in the class other than, like I said, at the top of the show, politics are my hobby now. So maybe I retain some, I enjoyed the heck out of that class, you know, uh, the debate, the discussion, the, uh, you know, the, it was, it was good. It was a great class. Took it at USC Columbia. I mean, loved it. Took a philosophy class. I don't even remember. I mean, I got an A in that class. I have no idea what I even learned. You know, I wish I would have learned about business. I wasn't a business major, you know, obviously. Uh, but I wish I'd have learned how to do a side hustle and set up a business and all that then. So, you know, that that's the whole deal. Um, Belmont goes on. In reality, we're seeing the start of an arms race of financial honeypots through for-profit organizations or some of the state-funded or private universities are taking direct control. I have no idea if they're allowed to explicitly tell a recruit, come to our program, we'll guarantee you a million a year, 50000 for every touchdown or interception. But based on what I'm reading and hearing, that behavior is clearly happening, and it's just not sustainable. I agree. They need the collectives need to kind of stay out of recruiting, uh, and the recruiting pitch there is okay. You know, we have these collectives. Here's how much money our guys have made. 
you're going to, if you play well and, and, and handle your business and all that, your value is going to, you know, obviously be high and take a part of that. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of guys out there that want to, that want something for nothing or, or something in advance. And I don't blame their families for wanting that. Uh, but th- that's kind of, this is the, this was the danger in my opinion of overvaluing recruiting rankings, because that's what they're basing it on. <laughs> Something that's 50% accurate. Uh, that's what they're basing the value on. And um, that's the danger of overvaluing that. And the danger of, uh, un, you know, wide open NIL deals where you can kind of circumvent the rules. I mean, because I'm going to tell you this, the, the NCAA can say all they want that you know, they can't do this, or that, but, but it's, it, it's if state if a state law circumvents well their rules, you know, there's nothing they can do. They'll get sued, and state law will, you know, it's the law. Unfortunately, you have the state of California that's taking it to a completely different level. And, and my opinion on that is the other 49 states just need to say, "See, ya, we're not going to compete against your schools," you know. That that's the answer for the because the the government in California is trying to make schools pay fifty percent of their revenue to players. You know, I mean that's not sustainable anywhere, even in California. I mean, you think Cal Berkeley's making a ton of money off sports or Stanford or San Diego State? He said, this is bound for a dark place where 13-year-olds will have money-grubbing NIL agents shopping them around at the highest bidder with no care for what's best for them or their families. Yeah, well, you know, what you do is when somebody calls as an NIL agent for a 13-year-old, unless it's like tennis, where a 13-year-old could be a prodigy, and they're probably going to go pro anyway, you just hang up the phone. <laughs> and then, then you wait and, you know, Chances are the the best player that's 13, and I've seen this. Look at Dylan Moses, number one player in the country as an eighth grader, right? Everybody wants Dylan Moses. It was because he was as big as he was when he was a senior, right? Dylan Moses ended up being ranked relatively high. Dylan Moses ended up being a good player at Alabama. Dylan Moses was not drafted. So, you know, that just shows you how things change. And and no, you know, some 13, some eighth grade. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't even, you shouldn't even offer scholarships because you're held to that, right? Um, and, and look, I, you want to start shopping 13 year olds out there, you're a lawyer and you think that's good, good for you. And the sucker that buys that is a, is a sucker. The, the university that does that is, they're idiots. So based on what I'm reading and hearing, that behavior is clearly happening. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, here we go. Universities will require more staff to manage the financial implications of bringing certain players, culminating in massive multi-state lawsuits ending in salary camp-like agreements and attempt to level the fields between the Southern Cows and Mississippi states of the world. In turn, all this will do is shift excess funding back to independent businesses who will seek endorsement deals with players and increase shady behind-closed-doors conversations between boards of trustees and outside boosters and business owners. Yeah, Probably right. So what's the right answer? I have no idea. As an alumni of South Carolina and an athletics donor as a taxpayer, I'm developing an opinion that the school's controlling the NIL funds and deals as a financial overstep. We'll just tack on $21, $20 a month to your half scholarship to cover NIL funds. No. 
I'm donating because I'm grateful for my education, have school spirit. I want to give something back to the community. We should go to fun scholarships for student athletes, playing venues and facilities where they practice and study and learn about life. After all, they're student athletes. And 98% will never play another day after graduation. Yeah. And the media people that push all this, Belmont, those people are uh, not, they don't give a fiddler's flip about the guys that don't go pro, the 98% uh, who need the scholarship, who get set up well for life with no student debt and with a, a degree and with the notoriety because they've branded themselves on the university's platform, which is massive uh, as a college football player. And they're doing really well. I mean, some of them go into media. So there's a lot of guys that go into coaching. Look, coaching – you get to the college level and you have a better chance of doing that. If you're a college football player these days, you get to the collegiate level of coaching. Those jobs are unbelievably good. Power five assistants make like right around 400 a year. Name me another job where you can stay involved in the game where you can do that. I wish I made 400 a year. <laughs> so <laughs> I got involved with the game. I didn't play college football. Yeah. And I probably would be a terrible coach. So, yeah, I mean, and those are just coaching jobs that guys are getting into. That, that's not to mention the guys that get into the business world that uh, end up making bank uh, and, and are successful, even if they get into sales because they're football players, people people buy from I mean, You know, there's just so many advantages for the 98%. Nobody talks about it, you know. I also think where the NCAA and member institutions are messing up is the subject of healthcare. Uh, I think that when you look at, at policies and, and the way the insurance laws are written these days, um, where you can sort of go out and get a policy, if you're a, a, a group policy, if you're a trade organization or something, all you got to do is create a, an association of former players and the university picks up the tab for their health insurance. Or, or makes it like 10 or subsidizes it to the point where, you know, it's not a financial burden. I mean, because the, the argument is these guys put their bodies through all this to play football, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, that that should be a step. That, if they made that step where, okay, former players get to purchase health insurance and we're going to fund this, and, you know, health insurance is expensive. Don't get me wrong, but you have a massive policy like that. You know, Blue Cross Blue Shields. I mean, my, my girlfriend's an insurance underwriter. You know, you're talking about thousands of people on a policy. They're going to take that and give you a deal. You know, the university says, I, you know, that that should be something that, because they're covered while they're there. That that should be something that nobody, the geniuses, you know, they're running and saying, hey, I haven't thought about that. You know, healthcare, that's a big deal. You know, imagine, you know, the, the, the people that get jobs and that don't ever go start a business or go, don't go out on their own or that are afraid to take a job where the benefits are less because of, of health benefits these days. I mean, you're, you're setting these guys up for life. You know, I, I mean, that, that's the thing there. So, uh, Belmont goes on. If I want to support NIL as a whole or a specific player, as you have said many times, I'll give to an MPO collective for exclusive interviews or buy their gear. I believe there should be ex an exchange for a good or service and all this, not just money to come to a school and play ball. It is my opinion that NIL funds managed by the school 
would increasingly go to pay for the infrastructure around this system, more staff and oversight, agents and a hundred other things before the staff sees that money. It's just more big government waste we don't need, but I'll stop there. Would you consider doing an entire show or series on this topic, starting with education around the intent of NIL, what's happening or where it's going? Maybe invite some expert guests on the topic as well. Sorry for the long rant. Thanks for all you do. Belmont Gamecock. Thanks about Belmont. Now look, I have a collective, okay, and, and it's going well. I'm actually uh, got about 125. Somebody came in this morning to send five hundred dollars. Uh, Carolina Rise. Uh, it's about 125 thousand bucks annually right now. I have pledged, and about you know fifty of that's pledged. You know, <laughs> uh, hoping it comes through, but the rest of it's sitting right there, and I haven't done any deals yet because it's kind of getting off the ground and you know we'll see now my argument for bringing it in house as it relates to South Carolina is is that with this fan base in particular it's going to be easier for USC to say hey we need money for this and for people to get behind it than it is for a collective out there and I think there's a trust factor there. And, and that's what this fan base specifically. Uh, now, look, you guys that have given a Carolina rise have done a great job. But I'll be honest, it's less than 100 people. Um, we're right at 100. So we got a couple more gear, gear bags, bags of gear, swag bags, so to speak, left. But, uh, you know, I got uh, 50 times or 150 times that. Members, paid members on the Big Spur. I've got about 30 times that. Uh, every person that listens to this podcast, according to the numbers. So, uh, by comparison, it's been slow. Now, it's picking back up. And I think, you know, the pause with Carolina Rise is what hurt because, you know, I, I had to go and make sure that I wasn't jeopardizing anything else, and I'm not. Uh, I just think that you're, you're kind of right now with all this, unless it gets under control, Belmont you're hitting a moving target. Uh, and if you don't react quickly and that's everybody pulling, rowing in the same direction, fans, uh, the university, the players, you're going to get priced out pretty quick. And right now, for example, May 22nd, it has not affected Carolina's recruiting that much. You know, there's some guys that we've talked about. I'm not going to name any names with the kids or anything. There's some guys that you think Carolina may get that aren't going to come to Carolina because they're going to go someplace else because of NIL. And I'm not going to name names because you never know. But, uh, and, you know, what some guys are asking for is egregious, not just to Carolina, but everywhere else. But then you have 50% out there that don't, they're not really all that, they don't care. You know, it's more about the school and relationships and all that. And all these guys are at different levels of ability. It's not like all the two and three stars say, oh, I'll just come for whatever, and all the four and five stars want money. Uh, now, what happens if it becomes, instead of a 50-50 thing, it becomes more of a 90-10 thing, and you're just priced out of every every player that can play dead in a movie, you know? And, you know, because then even if that happens – uh, and I always say, as long as it's 50-50, you just outsmart everybody else. And, and you, you let the guy that's paid for, that's probably not going to work as hard, go someplace else. And you take the guy that doesn't want anything that's just as good 
and uh, tell me how that's a loss. Even if the guy you takes a three star and the other one's a four, there's not that much difference, you know. And and probably you know in fifty percent of those cases, that ranking's wrong anyway. Um, she play Moneyball, but uh, I you know I I think that if it gets to ninety ten, you know, yeah yeah, let's say all the the guys with money. The that are millionaires, seventy percent don't turn out. You're still talking about a thirty percent hit rate with elite talent, and those teams are generally going to be better. Uh, and that's if it gets to be massive. And so I, I think it's South Carolina, and the laws change July first. That's my understanding. Bringing it in house is going to help raise the enough funds uh, to where. They Carolina can close the gap. Now, I'll say this, too. I don't think the University of South Carolina uh, is just going to, you know, have a, I don't know, a, a budget for for person that for players or, or, you know, and dole it out. I think, I think they will. You know, and, and you gotta, you got to understand this, too, Belmont. You know, J.C. Sherbert has connections to businesses and stuff because of advertising. The university has 25 times that probably a hundred times that, you know, Garnet trust has connections to business and advertising universities, probably 25, 30 times that maybe a hundred uh, just because, you know, look around the stadium, look at the, look at the ads, you know, look at the, the broadcasting, the local broadcasting rights that they may, I mean, they have so, so many businesses are in the Gamecock club. I mean, you just have so much more opportunity and it's so much better for a business to give than an individual because you can write it off as a promotional expense. Uh, those of you that have businesses that are thinking about giving to Carolina Rock, um, that I think that's a way uh, for this particular institution to guard against some of the bidding, you know, and even at that, I don't, I, I, I don't think Shane Beamer uh, and his staff, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to want to sign, you know, a, 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 Bolton paid for, you know, eight figure class because I, I, I don't, I don't know that that has, you know, people are worried well, that has a lot to do with winning. Uh, and it's kind of like Nick Saban said the other day about, well, right now we're okay, but what happens if that that's my concern. Uh, but right now, you know, I, you know, I, I think what you do is you look and you say, right, well, who, who, who do you really need? Who, who can you not lose? You can't lose clowning. You can't lose your, Marcus Lattimore, you, you don't need to, uh, with with a little bit of talent in this state right now, you don't need to lose any of those guys. And so you you, you pay a little, you know, you, with NIL deals, you, you may, and look, it makes sense for in-state kids to get better NIL deals at Carolina because they're already known around the state, right? Um, You know, big-time no-brainer guys, you know. I mean, but never $8 million for a quarterback. <laughs> and never – Seven figures. I mean, if it's a D lineman, it better be clowny. You know, not even a Miles Garrett to me would be a seven figure guy straight out of high school. We had him ranked number one. So anyway, I hope uh, Belmont that answered everything for you. And uh, yeah, we'll continue to talk about that because I'm living that right now. Uh, Philip, Philip, chiming in. Thank you, dude. Uh, sorry, this was five days ago. <laughs> uh, he says, JC, hope you and your family are doing well. Although I'm no expert, I've gone back and watched every game for 2021. 
and wanted to get your thoughts on a few things. Most aggravating game, what was most frustrating, as much as I hate Clemson, Tennessee and A&M were worse. Tennessee was a failure on both defense and offense in the first half, waking up at 4 a.m. to drive to Knoxville that day. I think I remember you emailing that week. We ended up heading back to Columbia in the second quarter. The highlight of the day was going to the Kalachi factory in Powdersville, South Carolina, or perhaps the 254 Bud Lights I had later that day. <laughs> Even that being said, A&M was an abomination, obviously a talent mismatch. We should never play that poorly against any team. Uh, the team at least adjusted against Tennessee against A&M. We like a Pop Warner squad. Yeah, the difference there, I think, was – uh, Carolina obviously did not play good defense that night at A&M, but you had Zeb in their quarterback, man. And, you know, behind the, uh, the Aggies, D-line dominated that game. Uh, and when you can't get a pass off and you can't run and you don't have a running quarterback that can dart out of trouble, you know, you're in trouble. You know, that's why, you know, as – as unideal as Jason Brown was, especially in the Clemson game, um, I thought he gave them a little bit of a lift. Uh, you know, and some people argue, well, he missed guys downfield. He couldn't run the offense. Well, I don't care. Nobody can run the offense. <laughs> I mean, what, you know, we're not talking about Steve Spurrier's offense and, and, you know, a system to where it's been proven that, you know, if you just have a guy that can run it, you can go up and down the field. No, no, no. You don't get that kind of, uh, you know, unless you've really done it, you don't, you don't get that kind of benefit of the doubt as a coordinator. I do agree the quarterback situation hurt the offense. But, uh, you know, A&M was just a, a mismatch. And I, and I knew it when Zeb was going to be the starter. I, I was like, nothing against him. But he's the type of quarterback you have to protect. He's got to have time. He's had no time. And you, gotta, you need a running game for him to be successful, too. Number two, best quarterback of the year. I guess I can't really say joiner because he only played substantively in one game, but it just feels like he had the hit factor. Part of the reason the run game was so good against UNC was because of the deep shots we hit early, along with the emphasis on those power counterplays we seemed to execute better. I wish Jordan had never switched to wide receiver. I thought it was a crime against humanity by the Muschamp regime at the time. He's one of the best high school quarterbacks in South Carolina history. It was better than Helensky at managing a game and just making plays that need to be made. I mean, I mean, was Shaw really more talented than Garcia? No, but he was a winner. Now, Steven was a winner, too. I, Steven was inconsistent, and he had some bad games that ended up in losses. Steven also, I think, was, what, 4-1 and one against Georgia and Clemson, 3-1 and one against Georgia and Clemson? Uh, no. No. Well, wait, yeah, he did lose in 9 at Georgia. And then 1-1, one and, one, and then 2010, he beat both of them. 2011, he beat Georgia. So, yeah, four and one for Steven Garcia against uh, Clemson and Georgia. And he won the East, you know. But no, he says Connor Shaw was a winner. Star ratings at quarterback can be hit or miss. Joyner has the it factor. And while he can't make all the NFL throws, you can run an offense with him that's better than the BS we've had for three or four years. Is he better than Rattler? Of course not. I think he should be number two. Doty tried hard last year, but he had accuracy issues in key spots and just wasn't healthy. Yeah, Doty's gotten better, though. I, I, you know, I've heard that. I've seen it in the spring game. But just like I wasn't ready to trash Doty after the spring game last year, I'm not ready to anoint Doty after the spring game this year. It's a spring game. But I've been with you on the Joiner thing. I, I, I think at receiver, he eats snaps, and there's better players at that position behind him. 
Now, could he get a lot better this year? And, and we're all sitting here and we're exchanging, you know, emails uh, during the season going, man, we were so wrong about Joyner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because players can get better. And I, I think he was just, I don't think he was bad. I think he was average. And then in the bowl game, when you put Amarian Brown and Jaheim Bell at that receiver position and he was a quarterback, you saw how different the passing game you know, Josh Van didn't catch a game a ball in the bowl, right? Jaheim and, and Marion Brown and uh, you know, shoot, I I'm and I'm with you. I, I you know, is the carry would I look at the carry and joiner if he's just out there doing Pascal throwing the ball and say, Man, this kid's really good. No, but every time he's been in the game as a quarterback, and I'm not talking about the let's put him in for a play and let him run the wildcat, right? Because that was a disaster. But when he's been in there as a full-time quarterback, we only really have – I mean, you can count the Charleston Southern game in 2019, if you'd like. That was that – was, anybody was going to look good in that one. But, uh, you know, the Georgia game in 2019, second half, Helensky's out. Joyner has to – and look, they didn't go up and down the field against the mighty Bulldogs. But – he completed a, a really nice pass to Muse. Uh, he ran out for one uh, first down on play. And those first downs mattered because if you remember that game correctly, it was, it was like Georgia's offense. They screwed it up because they kept trying to throw it. But it was almost like a dam was about to break. And they, they were right there knocking on the door. So the more you kept them off the field, the better your chances. Unfortunately, Parker White misses a field goal. Um which, you know, was not good. But uh, – and they went to double overtime. But Joyner, you know, look, he was out there at Sanford Stadium. A lot of guys would have choked in that situation, turned it over, tried to do too much, not to carry him. Uh, and then you got the North Carolina game. And, and honestly, guys, those were probably the two biggest wins this program's had uh, the past three seasons. You know, Auburn upset was pretty big. Uh, Florida game and Auburn game this past year were pretty big, uh, which is kind of funny because your your quarterbacks for those games were you know the the, were the carry and joiner after Helensky had a pretty good first half at Florida, at Georgia and then got hurt. Uh, you know, so Joiner finished that bad boy out. Twenty twenty, it was everybody's favorite quarterback, Colin Hill, that led the win over Auburn. Uh, Florida and Auburn this year were Jason Brown who is out the door to Virginia Tech, and people love to trash him on the way out. And then the North Carolina game, you had Joyner again and a Zeb, Zeb Nolan that just kind of rotated snaps, you know. And by the way, Zeb, you got to give him credit. He The second big long pass to, to Bell, and it was mostly Bell. They've run that play before. That, that play against East Carolina would have been a touchdown, uh, but somehow it wasn't a good pass. But they finally connected on that one, and sure enough, Jaheim scores which I think if he got on the ball more, he would score more, right? I don't know where, where you know, where that play against Clemson, that, that play against Clemson would probably would work because they love to blitz. <laughs> don't know. So, anyway, maybe they called it, just didn't get it off. Who knows? Uh, you know, so, so I don't know. I think Doty coming on is maybe, I don't know, slowed the roll with Joyner. But, I, you know, one one thing about it, and, and I would never criticize Marcus Satterfield or Shane Beamer for this because 
it's a hindsight thing. It's just like, you know, like I said, giving praise to Ray Tanner for having the foresight to not fire Muschamp when COVID was coming. He didn't know COVID was coming, and these guys probably didn't know any better. Uh, but in hindsight, you know, I'm probably moving Jordan to quarterback and right away. The minute I see Josh Van start to make a lot of good things happen, I'm probably doing that. Now, you know, did you count – were you going to count on Van – Coming into the year, no, probably not. So, and Leggett was hurt and all that. So, Jordan was sort of needed a receiver. But, you know, I, I think this year I, I would do it, you know, and DeCarrion has another year. So, let's say Rattler tears it up. And then, you know, you, you're not as sold on Doty. Uh, they actually think Tanner Bailey could make a move for the starting job in 2023. Braden Davis uh, also has a lot of upside. And then Dylan Lonergan may come in. But let's say none of those guys are quite ready. You, you have a guy that's been there six years in Joiner that just makes things happen because he does. He makes things happen. And at, at receiver to me, you know, like I said, he's pretty average, you know, not extremely fast, not great hands, pretty good route runner, you know, 20 catches. That's pretty average. At quarterback, athletically, he just looks more natural and comfortable. And, and I, I think, you know, and look, I, some people totally disagree with me on this, and that's fine. You know, I, I don't um, – th- th- I have a I have a set-in-stone opinion on it. I'm not going to change my mind on that. But is this something that I'm going to beat the table? So I'm absolutely right on no, but but I know this. I know when DeCarion's had the chance to go out there and not actually play quarterback, he's performed pretty well, you know. Thank you, Philip, and thank all of you guys here on the pod for tuning in. And um, Gene says, appreciate the response, but what is not true? Uh, I'll respond to him after we close off here. All right, thanks to everybody. Uh, I help consulting, by the way, the mailbag. Um, I will uh, get to them this week, give them a little extra bonus love because I forgot to read that commercial. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, anyway, Daniel Owens, IHOP Consulting, IHOPConsulting.com. Uh, hit him up. This is the IHOP Consulting mailbag. I'm an idiot. Uh, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit by the Gene tweets. I apologize for that. But, I, you know, I shouldn't let that. But it just bothers me. It just bothers me when there's just information that's not good information that's out there that could be costly to the University of South Carolina because you, you spread all this stuff. Um, and it gets out there and people just start accepting it because they're mad at Tanner for the baseball stuff, for, for losing basically for teams losing. And that's fine. You know, I, I don't, you know, Hey, I think Shane Beamer has done excellent so far, but we're only in year two. You know, I have a, you know, with Lamont Paris, I, I wasn't crazy about, how the hiring process went down. Uh, Some things I've heard behind the scenes both give me hope and calls for concern. But I'm going to tell you this right now. You know, I, you know, I, I, I I can't say that he was a home run hire and I can't sit there right now and say Shane Beamer was a home run hire. You know, 
Uh, the men's soccer coach, I, I'm, I'm not a soccer guy at all. But I like the guy. I mean, he's got some energy. He's recruiting well. He's positive. He's got a lot of – I mean, you know, I like the guy. You know, we'll see who – if Kingston gets replaced, you know, that – you know, and, and that could go either way. That could – that could end up being a Tanner thing or a board of trustees thing. And I'm tired of hearing that it's a board of trustees thing. Those guys should have no say, no zero say on how any athletics money's uh, unless the university has to subsidize athletics, the university, leave them alone. They're bringing in their own money. The Southeastern conference isn't cutting the South Carolina board of trustees a check. They're cutting the athletic department a check. Leave them alone. <laughs> God, you know, uh, uh, come on, man. So anyway, that's the point there. Appreciate all you guys tuning in on Sunday. Going to have more stuff coming up uh, this week. Again, we will have uh, the Bigsburg Golf Tournament tomorrow. That means I'll be holding down the fort on the Bigsburg.com. I'm the only one in town, so – uh, I'll have a Q&A, AMA, probably another podcast tomorrow. Uh, so if you have some overnight uh, mailbag questions, please send those to InsideTheGameCocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram at InsideTheGameCocks or Facebook, facebook.com slash InsideTheGameCocks. Uh, as we move forward, we'll have more information about the daily format, Inside the Gamecocks, the show uh, that will launch in July. As I said, i got some good news as far as co-host producer goes, uh, back in the fold but lately, and I'm looking forward to that. Certainly looking forward to talking Gamecocks with all you guys each and every day. You get to see my mug and my background here uh, at the, the in-house studio every day talking on various streaming platforms. All right, J.C. Sherbert signing off. Hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Hope your families uh, are well. You spent time with them today, and we will talk at you soon.